0: In its quest to provide an open forum for discussion of controversial issues, this station allows hosts and their guests to express themselves without any significant censorship. You're advised that any views expressed by the hosts or their guests are not necessarily the views of Tug Entertainment or its partners. Girlfriend, here is your show. Girlfriended, your chance to connect with other women, especially the woman that is most overlooked, yourself. On the website, girlfriended.com, and the movement, girlfriended. Here are Patty Wyatt and Lisa Dernigan on TogiNet.com.
1: When is the last time you gave the gift of love? And I know that's an easy question for some of us. We are mothers or wives, we're friends or sisters, so we might be able to answer that quickly. But what about the gift of love that stretched you? That put you out of your comfort zone. Maybe you had to dip into your finances. Um, Maybe you had to just, it was more of a sacrificial gift. Uh, Now ask yourself that question. When was the last time I gave the gift of love? Well, I'm so fortunate to see this gift being given. Uh, Just a couple nights ago, I'm on a team that goes into the strip clubs and we just walk into um, the the dressing room and we are able to give cupcakes to the girls. And it's, it's just the neatest experience to, to watch their expression. And, Especially these girls that all they're doing is giving and giving and giving and they always expect something in return. So to be able to receive a gift with no expectations, it really does blow them away. And one of the gals on our team, Michelle, she's been making jewelry for months and she uh, brought all these um, just amazing bracelets and necklaces into the clubs um, on Monday night. And you would have thought we brought in... Uh, diamonds or a house. <laughs> it was just amazing. And these gals would literally, as they were hugging us, one of them said, um, just the whole atmosphere changes when we walk into the room because we're walking in with love. We're walking in with Christ's love and they get it. They understand without even giving any words that there's something different about us, that we are the light that walks into the darkness and, and they just see it. Um, it's it's even crazy because we meet at a restaurant before we go in and we just, you know, get the bags together, make sure we have all the cupcakes. And even the waitresses that are there as we're, um, you know, finishing up the bags, they're getting to know us and they we will usually give them a, a gift and the expression on their face. It's just amazing because they're receiving just a tiny, simple gesture of love. And they all go around and they, they talk about it. They talk about the cupcake ladies are here and they all want to wait on us because they know that um, that we're going to, you know, there might be something special for them. So it's just so neat um, to, to be able to witness that. And I know this weekend, Lisa and I, we did a training conference in Dallas, Texas with Strip Church. And it was just an, a crazy, amazing weekend that truly had an impact on me. Uh, when you witness once again so many individuals, um, just whose lives have been completely transformed through Christ, it, it's almost overwhelming. Especially when you're with um, these girls that they ha- they've been so deep in the darkness. They they literally, when they get out, they're they're almost crazed. They just they just are so in love um, with being out of that oppressive state. And they just want to help others. They want to help others get out of that same oppression. And they will do whatever it takes. They are contagious. And uh, you just simply want what they are having, which is um, that, that gift of love. It's that gift of Jesus Christ. And they want to sacrificially give that same gift and they don't even blink an eye to, to wanting to, um, to to be able to do that. But, well, before we get too far into our show, you are listening to Girlfriend at Radio with Patty Wyatt and Lisa Jern again. And Lisa, once again, is out. She's out in Florida at another training conference. And um, we'll just have to really get on her for slacking so much and uh, not being on the show with us today. But we are here to rally you to do the remarkable through resources and relationships. And we'll have more information about today's show and other tips and tricks on our website at GirlFriendIt.com. Well, on GirlFriendIt, we are all about the stories. We just love sharing stories because we know how powerful they are and how God uses each and every story to be His story. And the the story that we have today about our guest, Laura Schroff was recently seen on the Fox News, the Huckabee Show. Uh, This is what Mike Huckabee, who was the former governor of Arkansas, shared This is one of the most touching and refreshing and inspiring stories I have read in a long time. If you had made this story up, I wouldn't have believed it, but it's true. We all need something to inspire us, and I promise you this book will make you want to stand up and do something nice for people. What a wonderful and needed story for all of us. And this book is An Invisible Thread. And he just states that it is fantastic. And the author of this book, An Invisible Thread, which was um, on the New York Times best-selling list,
2: is Laura Schroff. So welcome, Laura. How are you today? Well, good morning, and thank you so much for having me on the show. I can't begin to tell you how much I appreciate it. <laughs> well, your
1: story is just amazing. And I, I'm just going to like back into it. In 1986, you were a successful magazine editor, and you walked by an 11-year-old homeless panhandler, Maurice Mazick, who was asking for money and said he was hungry, and you just walked on, but something made you stop and turn around and go back to Maurice. So tell us a little bit about what what took place there.
2: Well, you know, it was a day that really changed not only my life, but Maurice's too, and The ripple effect has been really amazing because now, too, his children's lives will never, ever be like Maurice's. But I was walking up 56th Street towards Broadway, and he said to me, Excuse me, lady, do you have any spare change? I'm hungry. And my initial reaction was to say no, which is what I did. And as I got towards Broadway, what really resonated with me were the words, I'm hungry. And I turned around, and I went back, and I said to him, You know, I don't want to really give you any money. But if you're hungry, I'll take you over to McDonald's and I'll get you something to eat. You know, in hindsight, you know, these types of incidents don't happen by accident. I truly believe that, you know, Maurice was destined to be in my life and I was destined to be in his life. Mm -hmm. And I have no doubt that my mother, who passed away when she was only 47 and I was just 25 years old, um, has always been my angel looking over me from heaven and i have no doubt that she put me in marisa's path that day. Mm.
1: Well, i ha- i have to back up even there laura. Um you know, i was just in new york a couple months ago and and you're right. Okay, 56th street right there. There are so many people <laughs> walking around I there. Know. And um, I mean, not to be mean, but there's, there are a lot of crazies too. And there are also a lot of people that are, you know, they have their hat out and, and um, so you're, you live there. So you're seeing this all the time where people are, they're asking for money and they're asking for handouts. So it's really easy to get numb even to this kind of a scenario that took place. And and I know even, um, unfortunately we have a tendency, I know when I, I've been with my own children when Um, people have asked for money and I will have a tendency to go okay walk faster (laughs) you know I've been approached in the parking lot because they need you know and you just automatically feel like there's a story coming you know you just immediately feel that you're being manipulated by because you've You've seen it in the past. So it's really easy to just have that tunnel vision and turn it off. And um, that's a really neat story that you just felt like that was, you know, that that destiny. And and the thing is, you were obedient to to respond. And so many times, um, yeah, there are the ones that are manipulating you. And we need to have that discernment. And like you said, the, the words that I'm hungry um, resonated and you went back. So you ended up taking him. To McDonald's, how was that? Was this someone who was talking to you, or was he? What What took place there?
2: Well, Maurice was kind of surprised when I offered to take him to McDonald's. That I actually wanted to join him. And you know, you're so right. There are so many unfortunately homeless people living in New York City, and really all around our great country but this was the first time i had ever come really across a child i mean he was only 11 years old i remember sitting across the table and looking at him and thinking i he had just this beautiful little twinkle in his eye and he just looked like a really good kid mm-hmm. so we spent you know some time chatting and i asked him where he lived and what was amazing to me was I knew the shelter hotel that he lived in. It was the Bryan Hotel, and he lived only two blocks from where I lived, which was on 56th Street, and he lived on 54th. And here I was living in a luxury high-rise you know, mm-hmm. apartment building, and I thought, how is it possible that we could come from two vastly different worlds, and yet here we are having lunch? And after lunch, I was really intrigued by him. So I said, you want to take a walk? So we took a walk to the park, and then I offered to buy him some ice cream, and he was really excited because he thought it was designer ice cream. It was Haagen-Dazs. <laughs> and then he said to me, Miss Laura, do you like to play video games? And I said, well, sometimes. He said, do you want to play some video games? So I said, sure. So we went to this arcade and played some video games, and I gave him my card when we, I had to leave, and I said, listen, I said, if you're ever hungry, I said, give me a call. I said, I'll buy you. I'll buy you dinner and he said okay and he took my card and as I got out of sight he threw my card away because he was sure that he would never see me again mm-hmm. mm.
1: well I have an 11 year old and um, um I, it just I really touches my heart and um he, he, we were actually in London one time, and she always wanted to have the hat out and sing <laughs> oh. <laughs> walk by, and and so I was like, "All right, we're in London. The odds of us, you know, running into anybody is very slim." So I said, <laughs> "Sure, go ahead, stand there, sing your heart out." And she stood on the steps <gasps> there by the you know subway and um, had her hat out, <laughs> and I was actually all of a sudden I realized, okay, people are just walking by. They don't put money in there. I mean, what if this was someone who really, you know, needed it? So it is it is interesting because she was eleven. That was just this summer. But on that note, Laura, we're gonna have to take a, a quick break. But I I love this quote by Jean Annoll. It's love is above all the gift of oneself. And So many times we have a tendency to be selfish with that that gift of just giving ourselves. And that's something that you did, Laura, which is just amazing, once again, that you were obedient to that discernment and went back and you met Maurice. And we're going to hear a little bit more about that when we return here on Girlfriend at Radio. My husband and I were in youth ministry and knew nothing about church planning. But as we felt God leading us to start a new church, we were connected with Stadia. They gave us coaching and personal care, giving us the confidence that we needed. They even have a ministry called Bloom that's designed to support me as a lead planner spouse. We now lead a church in Cleveland, Ohio that's transforming lives, and we couldn't have done it without Stadia.
0: Stadia brings people and churches together to transform lives and communities through church planting. For more information, go to stadia.cc. Get ready to laugh along with this little parent stayed home with Ellie Loprit. Friday evenings at 6, 5 Central, on Togedad.com.
1: back to our show this day, and our conversation with Laura Schroff has been featured on the Today Show, Rachel Ray, Fox News, Huckabee, and many other publications. And she is the author of the New York Times bestseller, An Invisible Thread. And, Laura, we were we were just at the point talking about um, how Maurice, the 11-year-old boy that you had um, gone back and taken him to McDonald's, had taken your business card and threw it away because he just right. – no one's going to you know, come back, and I, there's no reason to, to keep this card. So after you got done playing video games and he threw your card away, what what's the next step in this relationship?
2: Well, the next step in the relationship was that night I was thinking about him all evening, and I couldn't believe that I gave him my card without giving him some change, because, mm-hmm. of course, that was back in 1986 when there were no cell phones. And... For the entire week, I just couldn't get him out of my mind. I mean, he just was so present in my mind. And I decided on Thursday night, on my way home from work, I was going to see if I could try to find him. And unbeknownst to me, that evening, he was really hungry. He hadn't eaten again in a couple of days. Mm. And because he knew where I lived, he thought maybe if he stood on the same corner when I was coming home from work... I would swing by, he would see me, and I might offer to take him to dinner. And as I kind of came around the corner, there he was standing in the same burgundy sweats, and I said, hey, I said, Maurice, I said, are you hungry? And he said, oh, he said, Miss Laura, I'm starving. I said, well, do you want to get something to eat? And he said, sure. So we went to McDonald's, and when we got done, I said to him, you know, I've got a great idea. I said, why don't you meet me on the corner next Monday night? We can meet at 7 o'clock, and I'll take you out to dinner. And that was the beginning of our Monday night rituals. We would meet on Monday nights. We met for four years and hundreds of times thereafter. And, of course, as the relationship progressed, you know, we would see each other more often, particularly on weekends.
1: And, and so this had to just tear your heart out because you know that you're meeting him on Monday night but he's going back to a home where obviously isn't the normalcy doesn't exist. How did right. you deal with that?
2: You know, it was really, really hard because um, I thought about him all the time. But, you know, at that time I was working at USA Today, and it was during the launch days of the newspaper, and I was really, really busy, and I really couldn't see him more than just on Monday nights. So it was pretty heart-wrenching. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I n- had seen his the room that he lived in, and he lived in a room that was really 12 by 12. It had mm. two single beds, no bill- pillows, blankets, bedding, and there was one chair in a corner and a half of a refrigerator. As a child, Maurice could never remember food being in the refrigerator, only really um, water and baking soda to cook the drugs at night. Mm. His father was a drug addict, a drug dealer, and really a thug, and he left when he, Maurice was six years old. And Maurice's mother, whom he loved dearly, um, was addicted to heroin and crack. And she really was unable to take care of him. You know, when I met him, he didn't own a toothbrush, a bar of soap, or any of the bare essentials that, you know, we just take so for granted. So it was really, really hard. And I did try to see him as often as I could. But we had a standing Monday night always. Mm. Which was wonderful.
1: Now there is a there is a part in your book, and th- this has—I I just know it's going to have an impact on all of our listeners as well, because it, it really, to me, puts so many things in in perspective. Um, there is a point where you asked him about lunch money,
2: right? And he yeah. gave a
1: response that it, it's just um, crazy. So tell us about that.
2: Well, he. Um I guess it was about six months into, you know, our little relationship. And he used to, we used to see each other quite often on Saturdays, so it wasn't out of the norm that he would call me, but he called me from downstairs and asked if I could take him to lunch. So I said, sure, and we went over to and had some lunch, and I asked him, you know, how long it had been since he had eaten, and he told me it was a couple of days, and I said, you know, I said, I can't bear the thought that you're not eating every day. I said, but I can't see you. I said, so we need to figure this out together. I said, I can either give you money on Monday nights when we get together, or if you'd like, on Monday nights we can go over to the supermarket. I can buy you all the things you love to eat. I can make you lunch I'll leave it with the doorman, and on your way to school, because he only lived two blocks away, you can swing by and you can pick up your lunch. And he looked at me and he said to me, Miss Laura, if you make me lunch, are you going to put it in a brown paper bag? Mm. And I was really surprised by the question, I said, well, do you want your lunch in a brown paper bag? You don't want your lunch in a brown paper bag? And he said, oh, he said, Miss Laura, he said, I don't want your money. He said, I want my lunch in a brown paper bag. He said, because when kids come to school and they have their lunch in a brown paper bag, that means somebody cares about them. So here was this 11-year-old child. You know, people would say to me all the time, wow, Maurice was so lucky to have met you. Mm -hmm. And I would say, are you kidding? I was so lucky to have met him Mm -hmm. because he's given me a completely different perspective on my own life and on my own childhood. You know, here was this child teaching me the true definition of lunch in a brown paper bag. Mm -hmm. You know, the bag is only brown paper, but what you put into it is what a mother or a father or whoever packs that lunch. It's it's love that's put into that. Into that bag because they're taking the time to make sure that this child is eating. Uh, and so I-, I would, so I would make him lunch in a brown paper bag and leave it with the doorman. <laughs> that is that
1: really had such an impact on me because. I I'm one of those moms that it's like you can buy your lunch. <laughs> I don't want to sometimes, you know, take the time to do and and that that really really just stuck me. And then I thought, you know, of our kids where they don't want the brown paper bag; they want the really cool lunch pails, and uh, you know, and all he wanted was a simple brown paper bag because that represented love, and. Wow. That, it it makes me just want to like go back and make everybody's lunch in the brown paper bag and write notes in it and decorate it and and do everything. We certainly
2: look at brown paper bags very differently. That's for sure. Yes. It's
1: like, that's a movie right there. The brown paper bag, you know, because it's all, it's all about love. Um, Well, he, there's another little thread there speaking of the invisible thread that not only did the brown paper bag represent the love but there was um something else within the dining room table that I thought was wow. really interesting that we take for granted
2: and we do take our dining room tables for granted and we take sometimes meals for granted and we knew each other about 3 months and I took him out to my sister Annette's house and my sister Lives on Long Island, you know, and she lives in a regular house, but she has a dining room. And she had, she, at the time, she had three, she still has three children, but they were all about Maurice's age. And so we went out to visit. And I used to ask Maurice all the time, so what do you want to be when you grow up? And he used to say to me all the time, I don't know. I don't really ever think about it. And what he really never told me was he really thought at the age of, by the time he turned 13, he would you know, go into the family business, and the family business was to be drug dealers and drug addicts, but he didn't want me to know that. So he used to tell me all the time that he just really never thought about it. And when we went to my sister's house, you know, he played on the swings. He couldn't believe that there was actually a swing set in the backyard, and he went for a bike ride with Derek, and we came back and we had dinner, of course, in the dining room. And my family tends to be a little bit loud, and we're all talking over each other. And Maurice was eating very slowly, And kind of taking it all in and chatting with all of us as well. And driving home that night, I said to him, so, I said, what was the favorite part of your day? And I really thought he would say playing on the swings or playing with the video games or going for a bike ride. And he said, oh, he said, Miss Laura, he said, my favorite part of the day was that room. And I said, what room? He said, you know, that room where we ate. And I said, oh, I said, well, that's called a dining room. He said, yeah, he said, Miss Laura, he said, there was a lot of food on that table. He said, but I just couldn't believe how much love was passed across the Mm -hmm. table. He said, and someday, he said, when I grow up, he said, I'm going to have a dining room table just like that. And it was the first time that I realized that Maurice was starting to dream, and he was starting to dream beyond being a drug addict and a drug dealer. hmm and even at the time, we didn't even begin to comprehend the impact that that mm-hmm. dinner had for him. And when you go into Maurice's apartment today, which is quite cramped, he doesn't have a living room, um, doesn't have a couch and all of his sofa. And you can walk into his living room, and he has a big dining room table, and that's where the family hangs out. Mm. Yeah, mm. with 10 chairs around it for his family. Wow. Yeah. that
1: that is amazing you know and just the dining room table experience there's all kinds of research saying that that a family that that eats together stays together and how in our culture we really have moved away from sitting around that dining room table and we're we're so much we we want our kids to have, you know, they have to go do soccer, they have to go do dance, they have to excel, they have to, you know, in our culture be the best of the best. And it's all these things that the parents, I think, are, are putting on these kids to do things with excellence, and yet... We're missing out on just coming home at night or even in the morning having breakfast together, but we're all on 5,000 schedules. And just the the, the dining room table experience. I know um, I'm a counselor every summer for each kid and, and they're at church camp, and that is a comment that you hear over and over again, that it's the first time they have that family meal, that community, sitting there at the dining room table in, the, in this big, huge dining hall. And to me, that's not even a dining experience when you're in this huge dining hall with, you know, 600 other kids. Right, right. That's some of their favorite things is going and lining up in the cafeteria and eating there all together um, because they feel like that family unit, which is interesting because you would think they get it at at school as well. But there's something different. And just like Maurice said, in the passing, you know, they're passing love when you're just sharing at That dining experience.
2: Yeah, he had never, ever had dinner with his family at Mm -hmm. a dining room table, Mm -hmm. which is absolutely amazing when you think about it. And he just thought it was the best thing ever.
1: Wow. Well, I have another quote. I just love qu- quotes, but this is from Leo Biscaglia, And Love is always bestowed as a gift, freely, willingly, and without expectation. We don't love to be loved. We love to love. And we are going to take a quick commercial break, and we just once again want to talk about love is above all the gift of oneself. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. We were thriving in a youth ministry when God clearly called us out of our Bible Belt comfort zone to plant a church in California. Stadia's 90 plus percent success rate gave us all the confidence we needed. They also cared for us through amazing support networks to encourage us like Bloom, a one of a kind ministry for planters' wives. It's here I find deep friendships with like-minded gals who want to change lives.
0: Stadia brings people and churches together to transform lives and communities through church planting. For more information, go to stadia.cc. Are you happy with your life? Satisfied with the direction you're taking? More importantly, are you content with the results you're seeing? Then Success Profiles Radio is the program for you. Join host Brian K. Wright as he talks to experts in many areas relating to life success, including expertise in leadership, business, relationships, careers, networking, health, overcoming adversity and much more each week we'll explore different aspects of success and how to apply them to your life for more on brian and the show check out his website briankwright.com each week is a dose of inspiration so many people live their lives wanting more than they currently have success profiles radio is a show that will clearly demonstrate the principle if i can do it you can do it so don't miss this opportunity to take control of your life and your results Success Profiles Radio with Brian K. Wright Mondays at 5 p.m. Central on the Rockstar Radio Network. Welcome back to Girlfriended Radio. A chance for you to let your hair down, curl up with a mug of whatever you love, and have some nice girl talk. It's Girlfriended, the radio show on Toginet.com. And now back to the show with your hosts, Patty and Lisa.
1: Welcome back with our special guest today, author of New York um, Times bestseller, An Invisible Thread, Laura Schrock And it, she just has such a wonderful and refreshing story of sharing about the gift of love and It's just so funny how God says, love Jesus and love others, but we so often don't take the time to offer that precious gift. And especially if it means stretching out of our comfort zone, um, it might be as simple as just praying daily for God to place those people in your life that he wants you to have um, an impact on. And they end up having an impact on you, like Laura says. And Laura, tell us a little bit about that, how meeting Maurice really kind of changed your life. Um, even though so many times we think, "Oh, we're doing this for that other person,"
2: you know, Patty, what you said is just a moment ago about how God puts people in our in our way, and sometimes all we really have to do is open up our eyes and our heart, and if we do, we will receive these most amazing gifts. Mm-hmm. And you know, for me, I came from also a pretty difficult childhood. My father was an alcoholic. He was abusive um, with my mother and my younger bro- my youngest brother, my younger brother, Frank. And unfortunately, when he drank, <clears throat> pardon me, his deepest demons would come out. Mm. So when he was great, he was great. But when he was bad, he was really terrible. Mm-hmm. But as a child, we never had to worry about food on the table or a warm bed to sleep in. You know, he would have worked 10 jobs to make sure that he was taking care of his family the way he thought he should. But, you know, I, as an adult, thought about my childhood a lot, and it really wasn't until I met Maurice, and I met a child who really had a really hard life, Mm -hmm. that he began to really help me put my own life and my own childhood really into perspective, and to really thank God for the blessings that I did have as a child, because... If we all could meet a child like Maurice, and God knows we don't want to, because then that would mean there's so many of them out there, and there are, mm-hmm. um, you would think very differently about your own life and certainly counter blessings so much more. And so, you know, for me, I loved having Maurice, and I love having Maurice in my life. I don't have children of my own. So in many ways, you know, God gave me a child, um, and as Maurice would say, I I just didn't, you know, bear him, but, and, you know, God gave him two mothers, his mm-hmm. natural mother and then me, Aww. and I think of how different my life would be today if mm-hmm. I had not stopped and I did keep walking. It would have been a very different life, mm-hmm. you know, it, but it would have certainly been far, much more empty, that's for sure. hmm
1: Yes, I, I like that you said it would be much more empty. It's interesting when we stop and we serve others, how just that paradigm shift where it's not about us. And, and we all need that perspective that life is so much bigger than just who we are. And it's it really isn't about us. It's about, you know, Like you said, just look around you, open up, be receptive to where God wants you to be obedient and and really, you know, pray for that. Pray for those times and and those moments to happen. Um, with, With Maurice you can't help. Okay. There's all these questions that I'm sure all of our listeners have. So I'm trying to, I'm trying to hit all of them so they don't walk away from today's show going, why didn't she ask her that? (laughs) Uh, One of them, I know I'm just dying to, to go. Okay. How close are you guys together now? Like physically, do you, do you live close to each other in New York? Um, do you still often see each other? I know in your, in your book, you talk about, he gave a toast. I believe it was your 50th fiftieth birthday?
2: birthday yes
1: yes Yeah. so where are you guys now
2: well we both live in New York City I live on um, Midtown and Maurice lives downtown a little bit past Chinatown and um, I would say that we you know because there's been so much going on with the book um, we do see each other quite often so we get together a lot now um, for speaking engagements but we actually have a dinner on the books for in in March to get together. We're, I'm going over to his house for dinner. It's like, you know, we've been spending so much time with the book, but we just want to, you know, let's just have a big family dinner. So I'm very excited about that. We're going to be doing that in a couple of weeks. But we see each other a lot. We'll be seeing each other tomorrow. We see I'll, I'll be seeing him next week. You know, a lot of times when we do have a speaking engagement, his wife, Michelle, will come, which is really wonderful, too. But... Because we've been so so busy with the book that it has not really given us a lot of time to spend personal quality time mm-hmm. together. It's kind of different time, but it's been really wonderful because you know we see each other a lot.
1: Well, in the toast on your fiftieth birthday, mm-hmm. where he's um, literally calling you his his mom, um, <sighs> which is such a, a tearjerker. What? So I'm assuming you have grandchildren then. <laughs>
2: I don't have any grandchildren. My, my sister, both of my sisters have children. And
1: Oh, I mean, through um, Greece. Since he's calling you his mom, I'm assuming he has children.
2: Oh, yes. Oh, I'm sorry. So, yes. <laughs> he actually has seven children. Oh, okay. And they they range from the age of 21 to um, six years old. Wow. The, meds the youngest, yes. Now, um, he's been with Michelle for, they've been married, I think, for four. 14 years and been together, like, close to 20, which is really, really wonderful. So Michelle actually had a son um, prior to meeting Maurice, and Maurice had Maurice Jr. prior to meeting Michelle. And then they have five children between the two of them. And they have the most amazing family, the cutest kids, and very proud princess is going to be turning 16 um, in a couple of months, and she's on the honor roll. I mean, the kids are doing really, really well. Oh, wow. He has been able to create for himself this really loving, wonderful family, mm-hmm. um, which is what he wanted after it's meeting like you,
1: me. It's like you said, um, well, the, the legacy, it, it was completely changed. It's The dining room table was almost like there was a vision there that he could have this. If he, uh, just you being in his life. And, and I, I just think that is, um, so neat. If we just give these kids hope and we give them a vision that they can see beyond that cycle of, of where they were now, someone like Maurice, I can't help, but a child that's going to bed hungry, isn't just crying out to God and saying, you know, help me. I'm hungry. Feed me. Have you talked to Maurice about any of those thoughts? Was was he in that place when he met you? Did he feel like, wow, God answered my prayers?
2: He actually, even in the toast, he said that God sent him, the Lord sent him an angel. And he has really always truly believed that. Maurice um, is very faith-based. Mm-hmm. And um, he absolutely believes that God, you know, put him in my way which is really really wonderful you know that toast and you can actually see it on our website when he came to my 50th birthday party i said to him about an hour before he gave the toast you know by the way would you give a toast and he's like sure and he did this toast and it was really the most amazing toast and who would have ever thought when i was having the toast videoed that one day that toast would be so important i mean i wanted the toast just because i wanted the toast but it's been um, – it's the most beautiful toast anybody could ever have at their 50th birthday. That is for sure.
1: Mm. And speaking of that, that it's on your website, your website is com. You can also yes. see it on our website. Um, I mean the link to, to go into your website. Uh, but definitely for the listeners out there to watch that toast and um, – <laughs> There's more information uh, just about both of you guys as well as how to get your book, An Invisible Thread, which you can get it through Amazon or basically anywhere. Like I said, it's it's now on the New York Times best selling list. And uh, you also, Laura, are working, partnering with another organization. Tell us a little bit about that.
2: Yeah, this is really great, and this is something that we're really, really proud of. You know, as the book started to, you know, the truth is, you know, Maurice is a full partner, Alex is a full partner, but when the paperback was coming out, we felt that it was really important to really kind of stop and thank God for the blessings that he's given us with this book. So there's an organization which is Share Our Strength, No Kid Hungry, and it's it's a national organization. It's been around for over 25 years. It was created by a man by the name of Billy Shore and his sister, Debbie. And for 25 years it has been their goal to help end childhood hunger by connecting kids and providing effective meals for them in school as well as, you know, during the summer. Summer months are really tough for kids like Maurice because if they're not getting their meals at home, they're not eating. And this is what really... um, Share Our Strength, No Kid Hungry does. So now a portion of the proceeds of our book are actually going toward this absolutely amazing organization. If people want to know more about this organization, um, it's www.nokidhungry.org. You know, and as Billy Shore just recently said, you know, we can't have a strong America and have weak children. mm mm-hmm. You know, when you think there's all... There's over 48 million Americans, including over 16 million children, that's one in five, that lack meals at home. Mm -hmm. You know, and children who are not eating are children that struggle much more so in school. They're four times more likely to have a mental, to need mental health counseling. Mm. They're seven times more likely to fight. Maurice, when I met him, he used to love to fight. He would tell me about all of these fights, and I'm like, why do you fight so much? And he was like, I don't know. I said, but it doesn't make sense. Why are you always getting into fights? He said, I don't know. I said, doesn't it make more sense to fight with your head than to fight with your fists? And before I knew it, when I went to meet with his teacher, Miss House, who was this wonderful teacher, she said to said to me, you know, one of the things that, where Maurice has really changed is he hasn't been fighting as much. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know, it's, it's amazing what hunger can do for mm-hmm. children, you know, when they're young mm-hmm. and how it plays on their psyche on so many different levels. So it's really an amazing organization, and we're really so proud that, you know, proceeds from our book will go toward this organization.
1: I love it. Well, I know when I'm hungry, I'm grumpy too, and I'm ready to pick a fight. So I, right. I don't believe. I mean, I can't even imagine. I go one hour, you know, and I'm like,
2: <laughs> where's my food? <laughs> you know, when when Maurice was a when little boy on Saturday. Saturday.
1: We're going to go into the commercial oh, okay. break real quick. Okay. So hold that thought, okay. and we'll be right back. Okay.
2: okay.
1: That's when we got connected with Stadia. They have incredible systems in place to support our family, including a network designed specifically for me, the spouse of a church planner. We could have never done it without Stadia.
0: Stadia brings people and churches together to transform lives and communities through church planting. For more information, go to stadia.cc. What does success mean to you? Money? The Girlfriended Radio, a chance for you to let your hair down, curl up with a mug of whatever you love, and have some nice girl talk. It's Girlfriended, the radio show, on togynet.com. And now back to the show with your hosts, Patty and Lisa.
1: Well, welcome back to our show and conversation about the gift of love. And our guest today, Laura Schroff. Who is has an extraordinary heart, and she took the time to change the course out of her busy day and began a wonderful relationship and a better life for a hungry 11-year-old child. And this child, Maurice, um, started to be able to dream because Laura showed him compassion and kindness. And this is exactly what Jesus is asking us uh, to do today in a broken world. So, Laura, you were right there talking about just being hungry. So tell us a little bit more about that. And I rudely interrupted you. <laughs> no, that's fine. You
2: know, um, I probably knew M- Maurice about four months at this point, And quite often he would come to my apartment and just hang out. And I would even run out and do errands. You know, when he came to my apartment for the very first time, he actually was really afraid. He was sure that I wanted something from him. He didn't know what it was, but he was sure, because I invited him to my home, that this was going to be the night that he would find out what I wanted. He actually came to my apartment with a box cutter in his pocket. And Mm. I sat down next to him, which really frightened him, and I said to him, I want to have a serious conversation with you. And he looked at me, and I said to him, you know, the reason why I've invited you to my home is I consider you a friend. I said, and you need to understand, I said, friendship is built on trust. And I'm going to make it very clear to you. I said, if anything is ever missing from my apartment, we will no longer be friends. And he looked at me with a very puzzled expression. I said to him, do you understand what I'm saying, Maurice? And he said, yeah, I think I do. And he said, you just want to be my friend? That's it? And I said, well, yeah. I said, of course. He said, nothing more? I said, no. And he stood up and he put his hand out and he said to me, Miss Laura, he said, a deal is a deal. And he was a really smart kid. He knew he was so much better off. Never, ever to push the envelope with me. So he would come to my apartment quite often, and I would go out and do errands, and I would leave him alone. And one of his favorite things would be to get up from watching TV, go into the kitchen, open up the refrigerator, take something out of the refrigerator, go back, sit down, go back to the refrigerator. And he could do that like 20 times because this was something that he could never do at home he, there was never food in the refrigerator, and the thought that there was a refrigerator full of food, and all you had to do is just go and open up a door and pull it out. And again, when you think that, one, in, there's one in five children in America today who are at risk of hunger like Maurice. It's really, it's really, really enormously sad. It's mm-hmm. terrible.
1: Yeah, we you know we have a tendency to go oh you know there are starving kids in Africa and and I I actually still say that to my children when I see them dumping a half a glass of orange juice or dumping their you know milk from the cereal that they you know it's like when I grew up I had to drink all my milk and I ate my cereal you know? <laughs> you know starving kids in Africa and it's like okay they're right here in our schools. I mean, right. one out of every five. That it's just we need to be aware of this, that it's taking place right here. And I, I know I love Bono when he does his concerts, and it's it's basically saying if every one of us would just take on one, just like you did, then there, there would be no hunger. I mean, in the world, that's what's amazing. There is enough people here that if we each took on one, Hunger would not
2: exist. You know, we always, but I I, I say all the time, one small act of kindness can make an enormous difference. Mm -hmm. And again, we all have the ability to be able to throw a lifeline to someone. Mm -hmm. And if you throw that lifeline to someone, most likely they're going to grab hold of it. And Maurice says it all the time. He said, you threw me a lifeline. And I say to him all the time, I'm not sure if I threw the lifeline or you threw the lifeline. But one thing was for sure, we both really held on to it. We never, ever let it go. Mm. And the one thing that I do think my book is saying or reminding people is that we have the ability to empower others to dream bigger dreams and to lead better lives. How one small act of kindness can have this unbelievable ripple effect. It never, we never could have imagined how it would change our lives. But when I look at Maurice's children today, I think his life would have been a very different life, and most likely these children wouldn't be here because he either would have been dead or in jail, like mm-hmm. all of the men, all of the role models that he had in his life. Mm-hmm. Well, the the ripple
1: effect. It, I think so many times we don't do what you did because of fear. And we have heard so many stories, of, just just like you said, when you sat him down and said friendship is about trust and and even Maurice had the fear with you know having the box cutter in his pocket. He didn't know what you expected of him and I think we don't you know sometimes have that act of kindness. Uh, I know you know my husband he laughs at me all the time because we go in and and um just try to help strippers uh we know, we call' them, we call them dancers entertainers, but um you know i 'm saying it is what it is, and he'll give me these boundaries all right, you realize we have a son in the house we 're not bringing him into the house right now um, for a sleepover you know it 's like i'll i 'll put them up in in a hotel you know, that's one thing, but it's just setting those boundaries. And I think we don't do things because of that. And I know people will say things to my husband, like, I cannot believe that you let, you know, Patty go into the clubs at night. I can't believe that. And that's all out of fear. You know, we go into the prisons and people go, I can't believe, you know, especially when they're, um, you know, male prisoners, I can't believe you let her go. It's out of fear. And when you, when you can let that, the, the walls of fear come down, it changes things.
2: But you do have to have boundaries. You have to have boundaries, but you know, even when I met Maurice, because he lived so close to me and because his uncles were drug dealers and drug addicts, my family mm-hmm. and my friends and even colleagues at work were really concerned and they, used to, they thought I was crazy. Yes. And I used to say all the time, you know what? He's a really good kid that's stuck in a really bad world. And I decided that I wanted to follow my heart. And I do believe that, you know, God has given us this incredible heart. And it's not going to steer us wrong. Mm -hmm.
0: Mm -hmm. You know,
2: if we just follow our heart, it will take us in the direction that we need to go. And, you know, I just followed my heart. I knew he was a good kid. I could just tell he was. Like you said... it would it, You do
1: have that fear going, okay, he has these uncles and these, you know, older men in his life that could then go, okay, here's this woman that's giving. We want something, too. You know, We maybe right. she money. Maybe we can get her, to, you know, maybe we can use Maurice to get, you know, drug money. All these scenarios, you know, they definitely had to come into your mind. And then it's, it stops you. It stops you from doing incredible things and serving others. Because we just want to, we want to be in a world of safety, and I think once you take that safety net and you just throw it away and you go, "Okay, God, bring it on," (laughs) then (laughs) incredible things will happen, and you'll have an adventure in the time of your life. Yeah. So that's just that's really neat. Now, did he did Maurice share with you that uh, what did he think that you wanted from
2: him? He just didn't know. He just used to. He he really just didn't know. But, you know, you had mentioned earlier in the show about how when you went to London and your daughter put her hat out and she was singing, people just passed. Maurice used to say all the time, as a homeless kind of person, as a child, he was invisible. Mm
0: -hmm. People
2: don't see him. They choose to look in the opposite direction. Mm. and he was sure that if I was being nice to him, there had to be some sort of a reason. He wasn't used to ever having an adult go out of their way for him. This mm. was a child who, when he was six years old, his grandmother gave him his first joint.
0: Mm.
2: Can you imagine? His you know, grandmother. His grandmother. And Grandma Rose really loved Maurice. Now, and why I would she him. do that? What? what?
1: Why would she think this is a smart thing to do?
2: I have no idea. But because he choked on it, she realized that maybe he was different and she never did it again. But Hmm. the only gift he had ever gotten as a child was a little yellow Hess truck. So he wasn't used to people being nice to him. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He was used to people treating him as if he was invisible. And so the fact that I was being nice, I had to have had a motive. He, he couldn't, I don't think as a child he could comprehend that it was just kindness and that I thought he was a really cute little kid that I really wanted to spend time with.
1: It's hard to break those barriers of how the skewed lens. I know when we go into the clubs, um, many times when the dancers don't don't know us, they immediately think we're trying to sell them something. It's like, oh, they're coming from a bakery and they're trying to sell us. Or, oh, they, they're going to try and sell us makeup. Or, <laughs> and <laughs> it is interesting. You're right. They look at you like you can't possibly come in here and expect nothing from us. What, right. what are your expectations? And and we even have some of the gals say, "Are you going to come out, you know, onto the floor?" Because they think now they have to provide something for us.
2: And oh, you're like wow, oh no no no, we're good. No no no, we're not interested in that. <laughs> <laughs> right? Because you think can, I'll pass on that one.
1: Yeah, no, that's okay. Um, but it, definitely, there is there is an expectation, even if it's as simple as a cupcake, that you know, obviously you want something from me. And it's, it's really neat to be able, like you said, that ripple effect to be able to give and not have, not expect anything in return. It, it's like, um, there's another quote where it says, where have all the lovers gone? You know, yeah. it's, it's that same thing. It's like the yeah. people that are just truly loving with no expectation whatsoever. They're just actively living in love and it is, it's the greatest gift that we have to, you know, you have to offer. And we only have one minute, Laura. Is there any tip that you can give our listeners to just wake up and, and share that gift of love that you have for them? I mean, I guess the tip would be
2: is, you know, that if you're so lucky that God has given you this really wonderful life, you need to really appreciate it. But he's Also hoping that with this gift of a beautiful life that you can help pass it on. And to remember that one small act of kindness can make an enormous difference. And you don't know where it's going to take you unless you're willing to move out of your own comfort zone.
1: And I love that. Everyone is capable. Everyone can be generous um, at least once. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, So it's inspiring. You connect with each other. And with that, we just want to thank you for listening to Girlfriend at Radio. And we'll talk to you next week.
0: Thank you for being a part of this special program, Girlfriended, the show dedicated to the most important woman you know, yourself.